Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles before we start uh, on the handouts today uh, to the book of Luke. Find chapter 16 and then we're going to go through a little bit of your handout first. And then we'll get into the scripture text that we're going to dig into. Luke 16. This is a subject that I, when it was when I first started thinking about it, I realized that I had not talked about this since last Easter. And I was reminded of even what I preached last Easter here, and that was that Jesus went to hell so we don't have to. And the scripture teaches that after he gave up the ghost on the cross, that that's exactly what he did. He even preached to the souls that were in hell. So he went and he got his keys back and he got the keys so we don't have to go to hell. And then I felt convicted because I haven't talked about it since. And I really don't know why. It, hell needs to be talked about a lot more. It really does. Because there's one thing that if it's talked about correctly that will get our perspective straightened out and that is the reality of hell and what it is. <clears throat> In the handout though, this song came out when I was a young teenager. And all we had then was cassette tapes and boom boxes were that, about that big around and you carry them on your shoulder. I don't know how I'm not deaf today. But this was a real popular song and I listened to this particular cassette by ACDC until I wore the cassette out and had to buy another one. And the lyrics to the song, this is man's opinion of hell, that it's a party. I've heard people say they might as well go there, all their friends are going to be there anyway. They don't realize that all their friends would be screaming at them, don't come here, dude. But listen to these words about hell. It's called the highway to hell. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride. First of all, I've never seen anybody on the literal path to hell that was living easy or free. Most of them are hooked to a drug that's eating their body alive and they got scars all over themselves and sores or they're uh, gangbangers and, and they're getting ready to go to prison for murder or they've been through five or six different relationships in their life and now they don't have any because nobody will have anything to do with them anymore or they've just ruined their life. It's not an easy life to live. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. In other words, I'm doing everything the way I want. I don't need reason. I don't need rhyme. There ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down, party time. My friends are going to be there too. How genius is it of the devil to take what at this time was the biggest rock group in the world and to give them the lyrics to a song about hell and have one of the lyrics in that song say that hell is party time and all my friends are going to be there. That's demonic genius. I'm on the highway to hell, on the highway to hell, highway to hell, I'm on the highway to hell. Is that not creative lyric, right? No stop signs, speed limit, no speed limit. That's a lie. There is a stop sign on the way to hell and it looks like a cross. If somebody goes to hell, they would have had to have walked over the cross they would have had to ignore at least one person in their life that tried to talk to them about eternity. The scripture says it's not the will of God that anybody perish. 
Well, if that's true then, then there's no way God could let anybody... Let me say it the right way. No way God would birth anybody into this world, let them live their life here, whatever the number of years, and then not have somebody that knows about Him cross paths with them to tell them about Him. Because if that were true, then that verse that says it's not His will that any should perish would be a lie. So there is a stop sign. Nobody going to slow me down. Like a wheel going to spin it. Nobody going to mess me around. In other words, life is just like that roulette wheel. Just going to spin it. And however it goes is how it goes. Hey, Satan, I'm paying my dues. Playing in a rocking band. Hey, Satan, paying my dues. Playing in a rocking band. That doesn't even make sense with the rest of the lyrics. But you know what it does make sense? Is there have been many, many musicians and even actors that have confessed to making pacts with the devil that if they'll get riches and popularity and become a star, that they will sell their soul to the devil. And that is a real thing. So this lyric right here, this singer is letting Satan know, hey, I'm paying my dues. In other words, I'm in a rock band and I'm living the life you said I would. And I know my bill's going to come due one day though and my soul's going to be yours. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on the way to the promised land. That lyric is a smack in the face to every child's mother that ever taught them about God. And the devil put this in that song to tell every mother out there, look at me, I'm on the way to the promised land, all right? It's hell, Mom, and you can't stop me. This is vile. I'm on the highway to hell, highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell, highway to hell. Don't stop me. This song has sold over a hundred million copies. Now, that's what man thinks about hell. Let's see a few excerpts from the Bible about hell. God's people in your handout having church like a celebration, but going to hell because of no teaching. This is all the way back in Isaiah. This sounds like a lot of the big movement today in the Christian world. And listen, I'm not a hater, man. Anything that draws people to God, I'm all for it. But once they get drawn to God, let's give them the rest of it. You know, at least tell them about it, right? But there's a big movement today where it's a big celebration. There's even a big church in Kingsport called Celebration. I, that's cool, right? As long as there's teaching that goes with it. Because this scripture we're going to read is about God's people that in this time, they're having a celebration, but there's nobody teaching them anything about God and they're going to hell. Listen to it. Isaiah 5 and 12. The harp, the vial, the tabret, pipe, wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. It ain't no testimony service. Because of this, my people are gone into captivity. Why? Look at this. Because they have no knowledge. They're not being taught. Teaching is vital. It is vital to our souls. I've been teaching so... This is the longest stretch I've taught in my entire life. I didn't teach this much in Harvard. I taught, but mostly it was in midweek Bible uh, study, but on Sunday, man, we romped and snorted the whole time. I had revival service every Sunday. But this area and where we are, 
God's got a different plan and a different method for this area. Because most of the people in this area have been exposed to something or the other. Now listen to this. Since most people in this area have been exposed to Christianity, they've either been exposed to the wrong doctrine, thinking it's right, or they've been exposed to the right doctrine, and it's been portrayed wrong. Listen to that again. They've either been exposed to the wrong doctrine and been made to think that was right, or they've been exposed to the right doctrine, but the people that had that doctrine were awful and treated them terrible. So when they come here, they need teaching. They need book because they've been hurt. They've been taken advantage of. They've grown to love a preacher or a preacher's wife or other people in the congregation only to after they're there a little while and the people feel like, okay, they're locked in now. Then the people start treating them any old way they want to and they've had their hearts broken. So when they come in here, all the motivational speech is going to be to them. It's just, just one more of those guys. All the romping and snorting is going to be just one more of those guys. But if we will go line through line and verse through verse and let them make their way at their pace, yeah. they'll make it. And that's why God has had me in this teaching mode for so long. So, my people are going into captivity because they have no knowledge. They've not been taught how not to be made captive. Look at this. Their honorable men are famished, starving. This is spiritual. Their honorable men. That means the elders in this church are starving spiritually. They have the title elder and they look the part and they sit in the amen corner and the people give them the respect they should give elders, but they're starving. They have nothing in them because nothing has been fed to them. And their multitude dried up with thirst. This is spiritual. This is why God has put it on me for us as a family to start focusing on the outpouring. Understand what I mean by that. I'm well aware that the outpouring happened 2,000 years ago. I know that. What we technically need is for the Holy Ghost to fall on us like it did at Cornelius' house. You remember that story? Peter's preaching and the Bible says while he yet preached, the Holy Ghost fell on them. We need the Holy Ghost to fall. And the only way that's going to happen is if we will pursue it in our daily prayers and when we come together, if we will pursue it too. And it will. These people dried up with thirst. And because of this one specific reason, look at this, because they were not being fed, they weren't given knowledge, God had to make hell bigger than it was to start with. And look at this, God hates the idea of people being in hell so much that he didn't even enlarge hell himself. He wouldn't touch it. Look what it says. Therefore. What, therefore what? The word therefore always means because of this. Because of what? Because the people had no knowledge and they were starving spiritually and dried up with thirst spiritually. Hell hath enlarged itself. God hates the idea of people being there so much he wouldn't even touch it himself. He just told it. Make yourself bigger. Look how big. Open her mouth without measure. God was surprised that hell was full 
I'm going to preach that one day. The day God was surprised that hell was full. He never intended for hell to be full. God knows everything. So God made hell a certain dimension. God made it the exact dimension it needed to be for the angels that betrayed him. Period. That's who it was made for. But then people started going. People started ignoring God. They started ignoring what they would read in the Word of God and just live things the way they wanted to. So then they were never going to be able to go be with God. So now people are showing up in hell. And hell had to enlarge itself, open without measure. Now there's room for as many as want to go. You say, nobody wants to go to hell. Listen, once somebody knows God is real, when they make a decision to ignore God, they want to go to hell. They won't open their mouth and say that, but you can't know God is real, which means you know the devil is real, which means you know heaven is real, which means you know hell is real, and ignore the God that is the door to heaven and think you're getting there. So if you know you're not going there, you are aware where you're going to go. But we don't talk about this. I mean, yeah, that isn't exactly the first lesson I would choose for a home Bible study. But you know what? I think now it's going to be moved up the list. I do. Yeah. Hell has enlarged itself over their mouth without measure, and their glory... Their multitude, their pomp, you know what that means? That means they're fancy, man. They got their Sunday go to meeting clothes. And he that rejoiceth. That means the dude that is in church, and he's running the aisles anyway. Ain't got a lick of God in him, but boy, he can run the aisle. The lady on the, on the microphone, it can sing like a songbird, but she's the meanest lady in the whole church, and your kids come near her. But by God, she can sing a pretty song for worship. Their glory, multitude, pomp, and he that rejoiceth, look, shall descend into it. Let's see what Jesus had to say about hell. Enter ye in at the straight gate. That word straight means it's an opening that is cluttered with obstacles. The way to God should be cluttered with obstacles. Now, when you think about that, at first you'd be like, why? Why would God let that happen? The devil makes that happen. If there, here we go again. If there is a God, there is a devil. Once you prove God, then you prove devil. So, if heaven is a real destination you can go, and the devil's one job on the world is to make sure you don't go there, it does not stand to reason that the path to that heaven would be obstruction-free. That doesn't stand to reason. Beware, wherever life takes you, never settle for a religion that is obstruction-free. Especially if it's a religion where you are not one of those obstructions. My biggest enemy is the one I see in the mirror every morning. Because the devil can't talk me into doing some of the dumb stuff this guy talks me into doing. <laughs> so never settle for a religion or a faith where you're not a problem. Because if you're not a problem, 
You've been lulled to sleep. Jesus said, enter at the straight gate because wide is the gate. Remember, hell has enlarged itself and opened its mouth without measure. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. Why? Because the gate to heaven is straight. So many are going to choose that path. And people that don't research Anything about God are going to choose the easiest thing offered to them, especially if it has, what did it say? Glory, multitude, pomp, and people rejoicing. So if you go to one of the service and it's glory everywhere and it's pomp everywhere and it's fancy and they're rejoicing everywhere and then they're doing good deeds, they're feeding the hungry and they're helping the homeless and they're doing all these things, it's easier to get sold a simple path. To the gate of eternity. Because straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. Not few there be that find the gate or the way. Few there be that find that life. Because many people have started out on this path. Many people have started out on this path. Only to just disappear one day. And it's because there was an obstacle in the way that they just decided they weren't going to move. Or because that obstacle was there, they figured, you know what? These other paths don't have that obstacle. And a matter of fact, when I examine this path they're teaching me to walk, this is the only one that has it. Can this one be the only right way? Surely this can't be the only right way. Look at all these other people. Look at all their multitude and their pomp and all the people rejoicing. And they disappear. How desperate does Jesus say we should be to stay out of hell? Matthew 5 and 27. This is Jesus. You have heard it was said by them of old time, don't commit adultery. But I say, whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And they say this New Testament made everything easier. Dude, in the Old Testament, all you had to do was not, 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 not. <laughs> All you got to do is not, not. In the New Testament, you can't even. Amen. Amen. And it says if you do, you committed adultery. Yep. And look what he says next. If I write, I offend thee, pluck it out. Well, he's not literally saying reach in your head and pull your eyeball out of your skull. But whatever that thing is that you're looking at that's causing you to sin in your heart, if you cannot cut that off, you cannot control yourself over that, you need to get that out of your life, whatever it is. If it's a magazine, if it's a TV show, if it's a person, if it's a neighbor, if it's a, a co-worker, if it's a friend, whatever it is. If it has that magnetic power over you, then you have to do whatever you have to do to get that thing out of your life so you will never see it again. That's exactly what Jesus said. He goes from looking at a woman to commit adultery on her, you better pluck that eyeball out, dude. And look what he says, why? For it's profitable to you that one of your members, your eye, should perish, and not your whole body should be cast into hell. Look what he says from Mark 9 48. He tells the same verse in Mark 9 48, but he adds something in the book of Mark. Where their worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. That's Jesus. Now, this is going to fascinate you when you look up the word worm there. Guess what it means? Worm. 
So it means the people that are in hell, they're on fire. But guess what else? They can't die. Guess what else? Each, everybody's got, it says their worm. Everybody has got worms, and the worms are eating them. Only they can't eat them to death, and they can't kill the worms. So people in hell right now, they're there right now, are on fire, and worms are eating their body. They can't kill themselves to end the misery, and they can't kill the worms. It says specifically, the worm, their worm, dieth not. If your right hand offending, now we got doing something. First we got looking at something. Now Jesus says, how about doing something? If your right hand offend you, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's profitable for you that one of your members, your right hand, and not your whole body be cast in hell. So now first we got the looking. It says that there's something that you look at, it makes you think bad things, it causes you to sin. You got to quit looking at that thing. Then he says, if there's something that you do, it don't have to be. Notice, he's not saying the things are sin in itself. He's just saying that if you doing it causes you to think evil or act evil, then you cut that off. Stop looking at it. Stop doing it. And he says, because it's better for you to cut that thing off than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So in other words, let's flip it around. If you don't quit looking at that, if you don't quit doing that, you're going to hell. I want to remind you, Jesus is talking to saved people. It's everywhere, ain't it? I never realized how it is everywhere, Lord. He's talking to saved people and telling saved people, if you don't quit thinking that when you look at that and you keep looking, you're going to hell, boy. That person's saved. If you don't quit doing that thing because you sin when you do it. I don't know. Maybe they get mad, throw a tantrum, yell at their kids, kick the dog, swear. We don't know what they do, but whatever the thing is they're doing causes them to sin. And if they don't quit sinning, the saved person is going to hell. Where, here he says again, where there worm, there worm. There's a worm in hell waiting on me. He ain't ever going to see my face. Words fail me to make that any more dramatic than that. How can it, how, how could you? There's a worm in hell waiting for you. Where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Now there's one in here I left out, but the next thing he says is your, is your, is your foot. So he's got looking, he's got doing, and now with your feet, you know what that means? That means going. So going somewhere causes us to sin. That, that place we go to might not be a sin. Going there might not be a sin. But our behavior when we get there, if we're sinning, it's better to cut that leg off and not go there anymore and do without that thing. And it might feel like you've cut something or somebody out of your life. But if you ever have to choose on cutting somebody out of your life and making sure you go to heaven or keeping them in your life and meeting your worm, more from Jesus about hell. This warm fuzzy dude talked a lot about it, didn't he? Fear not them which kill the body. See, this is why when my day comes and they tell me to renounce Jesus Christ, they're just going to have to burn me or kill me. And I know it's easy to say when you're not in that situation, but I, I really feel resolved in my spirit that that's the way I'm going out. And I'm okay with that. It would be an honor. I'm going to be one of them souls under the altar. 
But you have to think like that. Because look at this. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body. Where? In hell. Why would you tell people this? In other words, there may be a time in our life where somebody is going to threaten us to renounce Jesus and they're going to kill us if we don't. And we need to stop and remember this verse. This guy can kill me, but then I'm going to be with Jesus. But if I renounce it because I can't bear the thought of this guy killing me, it might be a slow, terrible, painful, torturous death. And I don't want to die like that. But if I let, if I renounce it and listen to him, then I got God waiting for me who can do stuff to me after I'm dead. See, that's a part of God we never talk about either. The modern God in our world is not this God right here. Fear Him. Who? God! Which after He has killed, has power to cast into hell. Jesus said, yeah, I say unto you, fear Him. It's pretty heavy stuff. Yes, it is. And some people think, well, because you know, I'm not that bad of a person. That's the only thing I got going on in my life is that thing I watch or that, that thing I do or that place I go. And, but, but, you know, all the rest of my life's good and, and nobody's perfect. And, uh, but look, man, Second Peter 2 and 4, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment... And the whole reason Peter brought this up and said this verse is to tell the church if he would do that to the angels, don't think for a second he's going to show you favoritism. He's not. We have got to live for him. I'm going to leave the rest of that handout for you to, to go over later. I want to turn to the scripture text now in Luke chapter 16. Verse number 19. I want to point out before we even read it that Jesus did not start this story by saying, I say unto you a parable. This is a true story. There was a certain rich man clothed in purple, that's the most expensive clothes, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day, ate like a big dog. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, <clears throat> which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the man's table. This man had enough food to feed Lazarus with his leftovers. But the crumbs which fall from the table, that reminds me of a verse where Jesus a woman said to Jesus, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So Lazarus wasn't even asking for leftovers. He desired the crumbs. That's the stuff you sweep up and you put in the dustpan and you either throw in the garbage or you put in Grace's dish.
It sounds like this rich man didn't help him at all. We don't even know if he shared anything. So this beggar named Lazarus was laid at his gate full of sores. And the dogs came and licked his sores. So Lazarus is homeless, he's hungry, he's sick, and either he's so sick he can't stop the dogs from licking him, or he just doesn't care anymore. Or he just feels like, this is what I am. I would point out the dogs were more compassionate than the rich man. The rich man, it never says he paid any attention to Lazarus ever. And Lazarus was laid at his gate. That means when the rich man left to go to the country club or wherever it was rich men in that day went to, he went right by this stanky, sick, homeless, hungry man. Never stopped, but the dogs did. And it came to pass, the beggar died. Now why did Jesus not call him by his name, but call him by what his station in life was? When he introduced us, when the story started, he said there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, he says, the beggar died. Why? Jesus wants everybody to know that your station in this life ain't got a thing to do with your station in the next one. You may never be famous, rich, go viral, be wealthy, or be known to a lot of people in this life. But if you've made yourself known to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Amen. then you're known by the only one that matters. Yes. If you've taken on the name of Jesus and the covering of His blood in baptism, Amen. you have made yourself known to the one who's going to be sitting on the great white throne of judgment when you get there, and I'll go one better. You've made yourself known to the one that dispatches angels to escort his children to eternity when they draw their last breath down here. Read it. Even though Lazarus was a beggar, Jesus said he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Can you imagine? You go to sleep cold, wet, hungry, stanky, sores all over your body. Somebody just laid you there and left you. Dogs are licking on you. And you wake up, you're warm, you're dry, you're full, you feel no pain. And then when you're done freaking out over your new cell and you realize you must be dead, you look up and you see angels coming for you. And they ain't got like the Grim Reaper and those things. They don't have none of them. They are your escort into paradise. Yes. I wonder how long it takes the mind to move from that box to this one. Hopefully it's not as long as it takes our mind to move from that box to this one down here. To be a beggar and not a good one. He's probably dying. Sores all over his body. I mean, we don't know. It didn't tell us. He's probably dying. He's all alone. Nothing but some straight dogs. Closes his eyes to go to sleep. Opens his eyes back up. And he ain't sick no more. 
Now, Kitty would say right now that there's still dogs there, mind you. And knowing the way she's favored by God, there probably are. But he's not sick no more. He's not hurting anymore. And he can't see the rich man, the gate, nothing, nobody anymore. And all I can see is angels coming. Swing low. <laughs> I guarantee you, Lazarus didn't take another thought about having been a beggar. I bet he wasn't embarrassed anymore. I bet he wasn't ashamed anymore. I bet he didn't regret a thing. Whatever it is, you might have to carry all your life down here. God might not take something from us. There might be something we have to carry. I will always carry my record with me. It's been 30 years now since I've been in trouble. Maybe 30 more. It won't matter. I will always carry that with me. But... Whatever you have to carry down here that stays with you, if you'll stay living for God, there will be a day where you won't carry that anymore and that won't bother you anymore. It will be worth it all if you stay on the straight and narrow. I bet if you were to ask Lazarus, he'd tell you it was worth it all. I bet if you were to ask him, he'd tell you that being sick being homeless, being a beggar was the only way to get to heaven. He'd do it all over again. Oh, yeah. We got to remember, this world ain't our home. We really are only passing through here, man. And our treasures, what's that old song say? Laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now listen, things in this life can get you down. I thought of Jimmy when I was writing this. And here they are of another thing that's causing them to struggle today. And that can get you down, man. Finally get their vehicle situation straightened out and then get sick and can't come. And he's been fighting vehicle devils for so long. A horse and buggy probably looks like an upgrade. But in Jimmy's situation, he can't let the Ford keep him down. He can't let the caravan keep him down. He can't let the PT Cruiser keep him down. Jimmy, I know you're going to hear this one of these days. You're going to trade all of those things in for an escort. It ain't going to be a Ford. It's going to be an angel escort. How sad would it be to get so bent out of shape and get our spirit wrong over these earthly things and have that make us lose out with God to win if we just stick with it, if it stays miserable the rest of our life, one day it's going to be worth it all. Teresa, I ask God every day, several times a day, to straighten your spine out, and I still expect Him to do so. And I'm not going to, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to expect Him to do so. But if He don't, you ain't going to have that spine like that all your life, because this ain't all your life. One day, you're going to close your eyes to go to sleep, open them back up, and you're straight, your spine's going to be straight as an arrow. And the things you carry around, they keep popping up in the mirror, Lord, and you keep pushing them down, they pop up in the mirror, you push them down. As long as you keep pushing those things down, one day you're going to close your eyes to go to sleep down here. You're going to wake up up there. Ain't going to be no mirrors, and ain't going to be nothing ever pop up in front of you again. Ever. Ever. But the devil would take these things and try to use them to get us to say, see, God don't. See, God won't. Why hasn't God done this for me? See, God don't love me like he does everybody else. It means I probably ain't getting to heaven. Listen, 
If we knew what heaven was like, we would be embarrassed. We're not paying a heavier price now to get there. I mean, never going to be sick. I like this part. Never going to get older. Never going to have to say goodbye to a person or an animal you love with all your heart again. Never going to have to do that again. That's where we're going. First 10 years of my walk with God, I lived with a lie that our mama was backslid. And we preached in the prayer back through a couple days before she died, told me about it, right? So now, David, we really do have a promise. There is someone waiting for us. She'll know nothing about us right now, but one day we're going to be behind her somewhere around that phone. Hey, hey, hey! And turn around, what? This is going to recognize who we are. You're going to be with that mama you haven't seen since you were a boy. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. No wonder the devil fights so hard. No wonder. No wonder. Mama's waiting for you. Hmm. Verse 22, he's... Never did tell the rich man's name. She just didn't like him too much. You don't tell it this time either. Beggar dies, gets an escort into heaven, paradise. Rich man also died. Look how he puts this. Amersbury. <laughs> See, life down here is the opposite of that. Yeah. Beggar died, he goes somewhere in the pauper's uh, field. Don't have a tombstone, don't have a name, probably don't know who he is, goes in a hole. Rich man dies, there's 55 cars in a procession. And they're all wondering who he left the money to. That's why they're in the procession. But the way God sees things, the beggar that nobody cared about and left him there for himself with a bunch of wild dogs, died, gets an angel escort into paradise. Rich man dies, bird. Put him in a hole. Now, there's no description of how he got from where he was to where he went, but we're told exactly where he went, and that was hell. I would point out to you today, this was a real story. We don't know how long he'd been there before Jesus told the story, but Jesus told this story over 2,000 years ago. This man has been there for over 2,000 years, on fire, eaten by his own personal worm. Verse 23, in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. This means exactly what you think, tortures. Well, I wonder why. On fire, eaten by worms. And he sees Abraham afar off. Now, I'm going to give you some Bible uh, geek knowledge here, okay? There was nobody in heaven back then. Back then there was the place that souls that were right with God went to a place called Abraham's bosom. And they were all under the earth. That's why the scripture says when Jesus, after his crucifixion, that uh, he descended into the earth and he preached the souls that were in hell. Uh, but then he took captivity captive uh, when he ascended up into heaven to, to go back to the Father in those three days before he came back in body. He took all the souls that were in Abraham's bosom, paradise, with him. And he took paradise with him. And that's when heaven as a repository for souls was created. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So back then when this when this rich man died, he went to hell. He's over here under the earth. Hell is still under the earth. He's in hell under the earth. And we'll find out in a minute. There's a huge gulf in between uh, heaven, paradise, Abraham's bosom uh, is where the good people are at. And over here is hell. And that's where the rich man's at. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being tortured, saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, that doesn't literally mean Lazarus had his head on Abraham's chest. This is the physical location of all the souls that died right with God. But he saw Abraham for real. Now, Jesus just added another torture to being in hell. You can see outside of it. Can you imagine seeing the ones who tried to tell you what to do to stay out of hell that you're now in, and they're in heaven? You're in hell. You're on fire. Being eaten by worms you can't kill. They can't kill you. And you're there until God one day is going to dump hell out. And then you have to stand in front of the great white throne in front of that same God, already knowing what verdict is going to be. And then when the verdict's read, you're going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and sin Lazarus. This rich man still ain't got it, has he? He still looks at Lazarus like Lazarus is a lower class citizen. Hey, send the beggar. You ain't figured out the beggar ain't a beggar no more, dude. The rich man was, the, the, Lazarus was beneath, oh, this is such a bad pun, I, I can't pass it up. Lazarus was beneath the rich man in this world, but in this one, the rich man is literally beneath Lazarus. Sin Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am tormented in this flame. He is literally on fire, and it's too late. It's too late. And Jesus didn't put him there. I wonder if that rich man, on one time going out his gate and seeing that nasty, stanky, homeless man, if he would have stopped the carriage and got some of the food he was going to throw away and took it to him. I just wonder if that Lazarus who lived life right because now he's in heaven, paradise, might not have told the rich man about paradise and the rich man wouldn't be where he is right now. The rich man drove out his gate every day and passed up the one God put in his life to keep him out of hell. It says a beggar was at the rich man's gate. So every time that rich man left to go somewhere, he passed the one that knew the way to heaven, but he looked down his nose at him. He was better than the one that knew how to get to heaven. Man, that one shocked me. We better be careful who we think God might use to, to help us. In this case, it was a homeless, starving, stanky, homeless man sitting outside his gate every morning. And he knew the way to heaven. And Abraham answered and said, Son, remember you in your lifetime. See, now he's in eternity. Time is over. Lifetime is done. In your lifetime, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, in his lifetime, received evil things. But now, but now he is comforted in you. 
are tormented. And besides, rich man, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. That means it cannot be moved. So that they which would pass from here to you cannot. If anybody did want to help you, they can't get to you. And neither can they pass to us that would come from where you are. There is no such thing as purgatory. I don't care what the Catholics teach. When we die, we're going where we're going. And can't nobody get us out. He just said so. Then he said, I beg you, I pray you, Father, if you can't help me, send him to my father's house. That, that, that blew my mind. That's the first peek I've ever had into the mind of somebody in hell. Because this is a quote. Jesus is quoting what this real rich man who was real on fire really found out nobody could help him. The very next thing on his mind was, I still got people I love up there. Send Lazarus to them. I wonder if somebody in hell has me on their mind today. It's fun to be me. Then send him to my father's house. I got five brothers. Send him there so he can testify. Lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That was their Bible. And the rich man said, Nay, Father Abraham, that's just a book. But if one went unto them from the dead, then they will repent. You know, like Scrooge being visited with the ghosts of Christmas past. And Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And Jesus ends the story. Dude's burning in hell, getting ate by worms he can't kill. He can see into paradise. The last we hear of him, he's told that the people he loves won't do anything with what they see in the Bible. They're done. We got no idea how long this rich man had already been in hell when Jesus told this story 2,000 years ago. But he's been there all this time since then. And if his five brothers didn't do anything with what they knew, they wound up right next to him. If anything could make hell worse, put those two words together for a minute. Hell? Worse? If anything can make being on fire, eaten by worms that won't die, and I can't either, worse is if all of a sudden you hear screams you know and it's the screams of your spouse, it's the screams of your brother or your sister or your child or your grandchild. That's why sometimes with our children, we just got to go right there. It's cost me. I'm not whining. I'm just going to give you that for a preface. I am not whining. I'd love to be best pals with my son and best pals with my daughter and best pals with all my grandchildren. But I don't move off what I know is right and what I know is eternity. And right now, ain't none of them want to hear it. Right now, don't any of them want to see anything that resembles it. And I sound like it and I look like it. And that breaks my heart. But one thing I know... 
When the day comes and they're ready to make their way back, there's got to be somewhere and somebody for them to make their way back to. And it's as a parent and a grandparent, we got to start off easy and soft and around the edges. That's true. But then we can never forget that if our children and grandchildren walk away from God and walk away from this faith, they're walking toward the pit. They're walking toward the pit. Amen. How long did I watch them walk toward the pit? Before I finally decided, before I finally manned up and said, I know this is going to cost me my friendship with them, and it did. I know this is going to cost me them being around all the time, and it did. But I also know that all the hints and all the being nice and all the invitations and special services for years has not worked, and they're still walking toward the pit. And I don't know if they're not going to get to where they're going before I get to where I'm going. And I cannot imagine standing in front of a casket at the end of a church room with one of my children or grandchildren in it and having to stand there knowing I let them walk to the pit because I wanted to stay their friend. Not me. I've already done the service for one of my grandchildren. I did it. And it was so awful there wasn't even a body there. Couldn't be a casket. So I know what I'm talking about. Every one of us has to ask of God. To be brutally honest with us and let us know when our child or our grandchildren are just skirting around the edges but they're still okay or when they're headed toward the pit because when we know they're headed toward the pit what am I gonna do pray God please send somebody to him after I'm dead and their father why should somebody else have to go I'm gonna ask God to make a complete stranger have enough courage to talk to them in an area I didn't have the courage to talk to them as her father? That doesn't even make any sense. All of a sudden when the pit is real and the fire is real and the worm is real, then you recognize that there might be some things in some areas that I might need to be a little firmer on. I'd rather be a little bit too firm and have to move them out of the way if we're on the throne. <clears throat> Think through what Abraham just told us to do. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him. Let them hear him. And if they wouldn't hear the Bible, if they won't do what they see in the Bible, they're not going to listen to a dead man talking to them. Now think that through. 
See, we have Moses and the prophets, just like this man's five brothers did. We also have the Gospels, the letters to the churches, the book of Revelation, the Holy Ghost that will live inside of us, baptism in Jesus' name and remission of sins. We got one who did rise from the dead, and Abraham was right. Many still will not be persuaded. When Jesus told this true story, he knew. Think about this. The one that told the story knew he was going to rise from the grave and stick around for 40 more days to provide many infallible proofs that he was indeed resurrected from the dead. When he told the story, he knew that even though he was going to stand before 500 disciples and tell them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, he knew that even though he was going to float up back to heaven on a cloud right in front of their eyes, that out of the 500 believers, he just told to go to Jerusalem, only 120 would. He knew that 380 out of 500 believers would not still be there when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Even though they knew he rose from the grave. They watched with their own eyes as he floated back up to heaven. 380 out of 500 would not do what they were told to do. And these were disciples, believers. No wonder Abraham told the rich man, if his five brothers won't listen to the Bible, they won't listen to a dead guy that visits him to tell them what they need to do. Jesus was literally a dead guy that wasn't dead anymore, and he told 500 of his own followers what to do, and more than 75% of them would not listen. Things are still hard on me, but I try to give myself a little more of a break than I used to. Because if somebody can look right in that Bible and see what it tells them to do, and acknowledge they see it, and they need to do something about it, and not do it, I can't talk to them anything. I can't force them to do anything. But I've made a deal with God. That don't mean there's ever going to be a day where I look out and know where they ought to be sitting and they're not and have that not bother me. There's a pit. It doesn't mean there's ever going to be a time where something's canceled or, or the grid just goes eh. And even though I know that God can't do anything with them. I can't either. I'm not going to let there ever be a day where that won't bother me. There is a pit. There's a pit. God made all things perfect, and I believe He made hell perfect. The place of torture for those who reject Him. Perfect in torture. And I am absolutely convinced that that means those in hell can not only see into heaven. You ready for this? But I'm convinced somebody in hell right now is looking up into this church service today. For wouldn't it be the worst possible torture to be in hell where it's too late to act upon the gospel, but have to listen to it being preached in service after service after service? 
I'll go one step further and tell you that if people in hell are indeed right now watching this service and listening to this preaching, that if God would allow them to talk to us to this day, they would scream at the top of their lungs and beg us not to come where they are. They would beg us to respond to the preached word of God and do what it says for us to do. There isn't a soul in hell right now that wouldn't give anything they could to trade places. Now I know what Jesus meant when he said, well, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, what would he give to get out of here? Anything. There ain't a soul in hell right now. People were allowed to come out of hell and go to church. There wouldn't be enough seats here today. It ain't because the preacher's something. It's because this gospel is something. And there are people in there right now. And there's people in there right now been baptized in Jesus' name. There's people in there right now screaming so loud from agony they can't even talk, but they used to talk and used to be in tongues. And they're in hell right now. And some of them there because they didn't have a brother or sister in the church that loved them enough to say, hey, dude, what's up? You all right? They didn't have a preacher with enough backbone to scald them all about worship. Or to preach hell right after that. We'll talk about earning points. But they're in hell today. And I'm just telling you three right now, you ain't going there without a fight. You may hate me one day, and you may get tired of seeing me, and you may not want to ever hear me again, but I tell you right now, you ain't going to hell without a fight. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Never see me go too long without crying in the pulpit. You pull my card on it. Because then all I'm doing is preaching. You can teach a monkey to preach. I know that's true because I've met some. Good news for us is we're still here. We still have the opportunity to do whatever we need to do to stay out of hell. Not only can we stay out of hell ourselves, but we as parents and grandparents can make sure we do everything we can do to make sure our children and grandchildren stay out. Amen. And if there is anybody in hell watching this morning begging us not to come there, I came with one message today, and that is you can tell hell I ain't coming. Amen. I went down to an old-fashioned altar one day and repented of my sin. I ain't coming. I went down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins. And I ain't coming. Amen. I pursued the infilling of the Holy Ghost like a pit bull after a pork chop until I got it. I ain't coming. Amen. 
I trained up my children in the way they should have went. And they're backslid right now. But one day that truth is going to boil over in their soul yes. until they make their way back home. So you can tell hell my children ain't coming either. Amen. My grandchildren were not raised to know God. Their parents neglected the greatest responsibility a parent has. But them grandbabies got a nana and a papa that will pray and fast for them until we're dead. So you can tell hell my grandbabies ain't Amen. coming either. I ain't worth much to this world. I ain't famous. I ain't wealthy. I live in a 40-year-old single-wide trailer. The only running vehicle I got is a 15-year-old Honda Accord with 280,000 miles on it. But you can tell hell I ain't coming. One of these days, I'm going to trade that Honda Accord in for an Escort, an angel Escort, and I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. Whatever this world brings my way, poverty, sickness, violence, shame, death, I'm never turning around again. I'm never slowing down again. I'm going to keep my feet planted on the rock and my face set. And there will never be a day I won't get blunt and even make you mad about something. But I promise you, once you get over being mad, you'll realize it's pushed you in the right direction. Every one of us have had things, they're going through things right now that are discouraging, they're frustrating. And they're not going the way it looked like they would or the way we thought it should. And today is the day where we make up our mind one more time. Somebody can tell hell, I ain't coming. And you can tell hell today your spouse ain't coming. And no matter how wild our children might be today, they ain't coming. Our grandbabies ain't coming. I want to invite you only to give me the opportunity <clears throat> to come to the front today and just make a statement to God. I'm standing. That might require some blunt words to people you love. That might lose you some friendships. Some of your relationships may never be the same again. But there's a pit. We're not going and neither are the people we love. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Father. Lord, <laughs> 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 
Mama. That shit is standing your ground now, dude. We're standing your ground now, dude. Can't nobody move you no more. I know. Can't nobody shake you no more. Go, go, go. Ratora, parite, omari, devori, moni, mara. Rite, devori, moni, mari, kani, maruta. Rane, shote, rapa, rike, ne, poma, roshi, pani, raja, rapa, kila, chama, shino, robo, mita, ba. There's no one called Scottish major. If you will seek him for the Holy Ghost and the Philippines. Yeah, you had the one who doesn't. There is no one who doesn't. He will fill you. You will see his spirit, he will fill you. Lord, I ask you to fill my sister with the Holy Ghost. Father. Ask you, Lord, to fill her with the Holy Ghost. God. Oh, Lord, let the promise be hers, Father. Fill her soul with your spirit today, mighty God. Fill her with the Holy Ghost. Lord Jesus, Lord, thank you for this mom. Thank you for this me, Lord, that has led the way. I ask you today to give her strength, Father. Lord, I know sometimes God feels like she's the only one Sometimes it feels like she's all alone. God, look at her faithfulness, Father. Honor her faithfulness. Strengthen her today. Encourage her today. And Lord, when the time is right, give her the words to say, Father. And I ask you, Lord God, she seeks you to fill her. Fill her cup, Lord. Fill her soul. Fill Lord with the Holy Ghost, God. Let her cup run over, Father. Oh, God. Fill her, Lord. Fill her, Father. Jesus. Oh, thank you for peace. Oh. Thank you for peace. Girl, there's peace all over you. There's peace all over you. Thank you for peace, Jesus. Thank you for peace, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that your name is on her soul. I thank you, Father, that your blood covers her. God. I ask you, Lord, to fill her with the Holy Ghost. Lord, fill her with the Holy Ghost, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is no denying. There is no rejection. There is no, no. Is it? Your ears. The order let you have his blood. The order let you have his name. He'll deny you the spirit. Peace you have over certain things now you never had before. That's the spirit. He wants to fill you. He's born to fill you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's Knox. That's Logan. Yes. That's Jane. That's yes. Lincoln. Yes. That's Cole. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless your name. We lift you up, Lord God. You are worthy. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, we bless your name. We raise your name up, Lord God. Holy name we're speaking, Lord God. Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for what you've done in your life, Lord God. Hallelujah. 
thank you. I bless your name. I ask your father to straighten that spine today. I ask you to straighten that spine today. I ask you Lord, to lift that oppression from your father. Lift it from you today, God. Lord, those things have accumulated over the years, Father. Lift them today, Father. Lord, clear her mind today, Lord. Lord, let her remember who she is, God. Remind her, Father, who she is in you, Father God. Remind her of the legacy. Remind her of the heritage that is hers. It is her children and their children after them, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your move in our Lord, lives, Lord the words, God. God. Give the lines in the sand, Father. Or house, or winds, or where. Glory, Jesus. Glory, Lord. Glory, there's not, there's not even that that much of an opportunity. There's not promised. So if you witness God's life, not. He's come through. And you've been on my mind for the last few days. You will pursue after it. Yes. You're going to get it. What it is a gift. Whether it's in your house, driving. Work, you're gonna get it somewhere. But I've had it, it happen all those places. Want you want it. <laughs> Hallelujah. You just gotta get over your fears to express the fact that you want it. Hallelujah. No have that fear to be afraid of it. We'll have it. It's not a gift that you randomly give some, it doesn't give others. Honestly, it's your Father, in the name of Jesus. Ask your Lord to uproot all the lies that have been told to my sister. All the lies the enemy has convinced her of, Lord, that it's not hers, that will never be hers, that it's for some people and not others. And Lord, let her feel the truth in her heart, God. And Lord, as soon as she starts seeking you, Father, I ask you, Lord, to fill her with the Holy Ghost. And I ask it not just once, but again, Again, over and over, Father, asking God to fulfill your promise to you. I ask it for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 Glory, Jesus. Glory, Jesus.